Hey, welcome, glad you're here today. I'm the pastor here at Reunion, and happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. We love you, we appreciate you, and we are so excited to celebrate you today. Um, watching my wife become uh, a mother over the last couple um, years has really grown my appreciation for the weight uh, that moms uh, carry, and so we, uh, t we uh, hope today is a day of celebration um, for you. And I, I don't want to miss this moment too. I, I, I want to acknowledge that uh, Mother's Day can be a, a hard day for um, many. And so I actually want to begin with a, a poem. I, I found this a number of years ago. I've adapted it uh, multiple times, but I think it gives a really nice perspective on the day. And it really just captures the depth and the reality of today. And so let's begin um, with this. Uh, to those who gave birth this year, we celebrate you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, we appreciate you. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who are single and long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way you longed for it to be. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who experience abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, we walk with you. And to those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate you. And so we know this is a hard day. Um, thank you, mothers, though. Um, and be where you are. I, 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 really, um, I really appreciate the way that that brings nuance to it. So let me pray for us as we begin our day. And so, Father, um, thank you that you've created us um, uh, resiliently um, to, um, to be where we are, to be who we are. And whether this day for us is um, really celebratory um, and um, you know, we're, we're filled with appreciation and gratitude, um, help us be there. And if this day is hard for us or it leaves us reflecting on someone we've lost, um, would you meet us there by your spirit? And um, as we finish this value series today, I pray that our action as a community um, would reflect uh, your character, that your being um, would, out of that, would um, drive our doing as a community. Um, and Father, I need you today as we broach this topic, sometimes tough in the church, but I just pray that you uh, would be here and meet us here uh, via this text. It's in your name we pray, amen. And so this morning we're finishing up this value series um, and these values have been us thinking and dreaming about the kind of church that we want to be um, for our neighbors, uh, for ourselves and for our city because these values determine and shape the culture that we have. And so if you missed a week, please go back and uh, check those out. Those are all here on our YouTube. The first week, um, we looked at the idea of hospitality to be a community that's radically welcoming, where we're creating space for, uh, we're creating space where people can become friends instead of enemies. The second week, we looked at this idea of identity formation to be a community um, that is actively trying to look act and be like Jesus, to be formed into his likeness. Then we looked at the idea of justice and mercy to be a community that's aware of the injustices that are present in 
our city and in our culture, and then actively looking to meet the needs of our neighbors in love. And then last week, we looked at this idea of covenant community to be a community of life-giving relationships where we're committed and where depth is present. And today, we're going to look at this idea of generosity to be a community that's loving others well with all of our resources and not just money though we're primarily going to talk about that today but with our time and our gifts and our abilities that we've been given in the fourth century the roman emperor julian wrote an attack on christianity called uh, against the galileans and he was complaining to the high priest in galatia in uh, 362 a.d that the pagans needed to equal the virtue of the christians and look what he wrote He said, I think that when the poor happen to be neglected and overlooked by our priests, the impious Galileans observe this and devote themselves to benevolence. And then he goes on to say, the impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us. And so this is the the early church that um, their generosity was shaping not only uh, their own community, but it was expanding out and um, their generosity with their money was widely known. Uh, Timothy Keller uh, summarized the idea by, by saying, a pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and they gave practically everybody their money. And so generosity, to be sacrificial with our time and our money. And you might say, well, why are we talking about this? And the reality is, is we all have a relationship with money. We view money, possessions, materials differently. And too often we try to divorce our spiritual life from our financial life. But the truth is, is all of life is spiritual. And I want to acknowledge that this is difficult. In fact, studying for this um, this message today has been pushing on me, um, asking me to evaluate uh, my own generosity. And Katie and I have been having conversations about this. And I know it's, it's further difficult because um, we've heard stories of nonprofits, of religious organizations or, or churches who have abused people in this area of generosity, which is why we want to have layers of accountability present in our church um, when it comes to our finances. But we want to have this value as a church because generosity has great creative potential. It has the power to change lives and to change the world. Remember our definition, to love others well with all of our resources. We create possibilities to love when we are generous. And probably the most important reason that we would continue to talk about this idea of generosity is that money, possessions, treasure, whatever, whatever it is that you want to describe it, um, is some of the most talked about by Jesus. And so I unashamedly want this to be a part of the DNA of our church because Jesus talked about these things. And I don't have the time to go through all the times Jesus talked about um, money or treasures, um, but there's actually a document um, that we've compiled below, almost 90 passages of scripture where Jesus referenced money in some form or another, whether that's through gifts or savings or taxes or being rich or being poor or lending money or gambling. And so please please go look at that document um, because those are all the times Jesus in some way or another referenced them, whether that be through um, direct teaching or through parables. But here's one thing that Jesus said when it came to money. 
He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And then skipping down to verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And this is true regardless of what you believe. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, think about what he's saying, the pathway, for where your treasure is, there's your heart. Jesus is saying, money leads and the heart follows. And so the movement of your money is actually illuminating or showing the movement of your heart. Why? Because we exchange money for that which we value. And Jesus, I think if he was uh, with us today, he would say, let me see your bank statement. Let me see your bank account. Let me see some receipts and I can see what you value. And if we did that, maybe we'd see restaurant transactions. What is it showing us? It's showing us something we value, right? We value relationships. We value being out with friends and community with others. Maybe we'd find Amazon purchases, right? We value um, convenience or we value a good deal. Maybe we'd see subscriptions, right? We value entertainment. We value creativity or art. Maybe we'd see um, travel expenses, airline, cars, hotel. What do we value? We value experiences, new adventures. And herein lies why Jesus talks so much about money is because your heart follows your money. And so the idea of generosity is really important because we actually have to consistently, via our money or our resources, including our time, have to reorient ourselves back by putting our treasures in places we want our heart to be. Our money leads and our heart follows. And this is why it's important to speak to it into the life of a Christian. Time, money, our abilities actually have some of the greatest potentials to be external indicators of what's going on in our heart. And that's why there's this sort of tension built up in the scriptures around money because these things are regularly competing with God for our priority, for our time, for our attention, and for our trust. Jesus talked about it and so we talked about it. And this is my hope for today that we would begin to capture a vision of how a generous people could change other people's lives. And to realize too, we're gonna to be doing a little bit of evaluation today, to realize too the effect that money has on us and the possibilities that generosity could have on us. And so what I wanna do here is I wanna look at this case study in a generous church. That's what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. Paul is talking about a generous church and a generous God. He begins in verse one by saying this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And so Macedonia is this uh, region, so it include the churches at Philippi and Thessalonica and uh, Berea. And he says, in Macedonia, they had a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave, not according, uh, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. And so what is taking place here in this passage, right? And what's going on here is Paul is actually following up on a previous request that he had made to the church in Corinth. 
a drought or uh, and a subsequent famine because of the drought had left um, Jerusalem in need. And so the church in Jerusalem had been this uh, deploying and sending church, but now they have needs and they're finding themselves in some trouble. And so Paul is actively trying to raise money from Gentile, non-Jewish congregations that he had started to send a gift back to um, the church in Jerusalem. And Paul is telling the church in Corinth, he says, hey, I've actually already hit up the churches in Macedonia and they are giving generously. But though you're wealthy, the church in Corinth was probably quite wealthy, you have not followed through yet. And so there's, there's something we can learn about generosity through this passage, um, starting in verse one. It says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given. And I don't want to uh, overlook um, likely one of the most important things that we can do, and, and hopefully you've seen this throughout this, uh, this value series weeks, is we're actually trying to begin with um, the nature and the character of God. And what we find is, is that the motivation for the churches in Macedonian, Macedonia was to give, the motivation actually came from a generous God. And so let's zoom out, think a big picture here for just a second. Um, this idea of generosity, regardless of what you believe, hopefully you're seeing that it's uh, attractive, you're being drawn into it, but, but think, think with me logically through this. Uh, Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so uh, throughout the narrative of the Bible, we're finding out that God is a creator God. Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth and everything in it, Right? And God is the sustainer of all things, right? He's the, uh, the, the scriptures say, in him we live and move and have our being. And so God has created and established everything, meaning God owns everything, right? But God is not selfish. He shares, he gives uh, back to his people. Generosity is actually built into who God is. He doesn't need to create, but because he loves he creates and he gives. Probably the most well-known passage in all of scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Who's God? God is a giver. It's in his nature, it's in his character to give. And in many regards, we actually need to push a little bit further because um, maybe that idea is a little bit benign to us that God is a creator or sustainer. But it actually should be noted via these passages right here is that God is, God is actually quite reckless in his generosity. God did not spare, but he gave us his son. That seems reckless in some way, right? He turned over his creation that we might have um, dominion over it to people. This is who God is and his being should shape our doing. And so if God acts this way, how is it that the world is gonna know that God is generous? How is the world supposed to know that God is generous? And the answer is, is through his church. If God is recklessly generous, then the church needs to begin to act like God in its reckless generosity. And that's actually our uh, getting at some of our motivation um, for giving. And so let's do a little bit of evaluation here. How is it that you uh, think about your money? I'm going to try to put this into um, uh, multiple categories here, four categories. Um, it's possible that we view our money as 100% mine, right? This is my money to do what I want with it. I earned it. Um, when I open up my bank account, what I see there is mine. 
All right, another possibility is that 100% of it is mine, but it's probably good for me to give some of it away. Like I don't want others to think that I'm cheap or lacking in generosity, so I'll actually give some away. And I think a lot of us actually, without evaluating the topic, fall here, right? But we think, ah, this is probably a good idea. Another way is that 90% of it is mine, but 10% of it is God's. God has a right to 10% of my stuff. And this is probably more the traditional view. Um, and it's possible to even walk away from um, today and think, well, Russell challenged me to, you know, to allow God to get 10% of what I have. And I do think that maybe 10% is a, a good starting point, but it doesn't actually have the right motivation. If we're trying to really understand uh, this recklessly generous God, that's, that's not all that helpful. But rather, the biblical vision is 100% God's. It's God's to do what God wants to do with it. Everything that I am, everything that I have is God's. I am a steward. I am not a manager. It's, it's all his. And I actually think that it's crucial for us to evaluate the way in which we look at money, regardless of what we believe, to think about, okay, if this is true about me, how I view money, what does that say about how I view God? And for the church at Corinth, Paul is saying, hey, it actually starts with the generosity of God. And so if our generosity is to be shaped by the recklessly generous God, what could this passage teach us about being generous? And I just want to say uh, four things here. The first is this, is that we should give joyfully. Um, Verse 2 says, he's talking about the churches in Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, there, the Macedonian churches, abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Okay, pause. Let's read verse 2 again. (laughs) For in a severe test of afflictions, they're, they're afflicted in some way, They have an abundance of joy and they have extreme poverty and it's overflowed into a wealth of generosity. Like what is Paul saying? That makes no sense. And that word for extreme poverty there is the word um, bathos. Um, I don't know if you've ever um, seen uh, what a bathosphere is. It's like one of those ships uh, that sinks to the bottom of the ocean that's like supposed to uh, mine the bottom of the ocean Um, And it's the same uh, root word there. It's like um, the down to the depths, or we would say dirt poor, like they are dirt poor. You and I think we're poor like when we have to drink black coffee instead of a latte, or we have to like wait six months for an upgrade on our iPhone. But these churches are dirt poor. They're crushed by poverty. They are afflicted. And yet they have two things. They have joy and they have generosity. And so there's a, there's a major difference between the two communities here. Um, the church in Corinth is wealthy, not giving. The church in Macedonia is dirt poor, but giving what they can. What's the difference? The joy. I think it's the joy. They're filled with abundant joy, but they have generosity. And I don't, I don't know um, what you think about when you think about these words, affliction or extreme poverty. I don't think about joy, though. Like when I think about my, in, my, in my own life, when I haven't personally had much, I think stress and worry and anxiety and fear and, and scarcity, right? Disillusionment and despair. But the church in Macedonia are in, right? They have a vision for a recklessly generous God and they're giving. And what has it done in them? It's given them great 
joy. I believe joy and generosity are good companions. I read an article this week um, called The State of Joy by James K.A. Smith. And the writer gave a few examples of moments uh, in his life where he's experienced joy with his um, family as, as an experience or um, um, the ways in which he, he found um, joy just sort of coming to him randomly, like spon- spontaneously. But listen to what he says uh, after evaluating this idea of joy. While joy can be crystallized into discrete experiences, that is, joy can have episodic highlights that bring it to the surface of realization, nonetheless, such experiences of joy actually relate to a more baseline, listen to this, steady state posture of receptivity bound up with gratitude. As the condition of possibility for such epiphanic moments, Such moments of joy tend to be revelations and recognitions of the giftedness of one's world, which in those moments is recognized to be a reality even during the routine and everyday moments when one isn't necessarily aware of it. And listen to this. Perhaps we could say that joy is intimately linked to a sense of blessing, a sense of grace, meaning joy and generosity are good companions. We often think joy is going to come to us when we accomplish our goals or we take a break from work, but rather joy is never something that you earn post doing something, but he says joy is a gift when you see the things that you have and you see that which you are as a gift. Joy is intimately linked to a sense of blessing, to a sense of grace, receiving that sense of grace, but also enacting that sense of grace. It's almost as if we could say joy is the mode of enjoying gratitude. And so we should be a people who give joyfully. Next, we should be a people that give decidedly. Look what Paul says in verse eight. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. Paul says, I want to know if your love is genuine, if it's real. And so what we actually find is that generosity, like we were talking before, is the expression of our heart, though we normally see generosity as an expression of wealth. But it's it's different here. That's, That's wrong. Your love for other people is demonstrated, authenticated, and validated by your generosity toward them. If you love something or someone, you give. It flows out of you naturally. I want to to get a little bit practical here because I think Paul is actually getting practical here. We love the idea of being spontaneously generous or um, someone being spontaneously generous to us. But before things are spontaneous, there's an intentionality toward them. Like I spontaneously want abs, but that's not going to happen. Like I need to be intentional about getting there. Well, I don't even know if I ever, ever get there. Probably not. Something like generosity, though, needs to be intentional before it's spontaneous. This is what Paul says in the next chapter, in chapter 9. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Decide in your heart, meaning there's a decision that you're to be making. Make a plan. If you're going to give to a church or a a friend or uh, a nonprofit or a cause that you believe in or a family member in need, here's what you need to do. You actually need to be intentional towards it. Sit down, crunch the numbers, decide in your heart, make a plan and give decidedly toward that which you believe in. 
I want to be quick here, but the next one is to give secretly. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verse 3 says, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, meaning don't make a parade of it. If you and I are walking around telling other people how generous we are, it ceases to be a gift because we're actually expecting accolades in return. And so give secretly. And then lastly, we should give sacrificially. And this is how um, Paul wraps up in, in chapter eight to the church at Corinth. He says, you know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. And so first, Paul tells the church in Corinth, hey, look at Macedonia. Look how amazing they are. They're giving generously even though they're poor. But then he appeals in a new way to the church at Corinth and he says, actually, look at Jesus. Jesus is infinitely rich. But because Jesus is generous, he became poor. This is what uh, Paul says to the church in Philippi. He says, have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so this is the ultimate example of how to give. We are to give like Jesus, sacrificially, recklessly. Like imagine this for a second. Jesus in heaven has everything he could ever want, ever need, seated next to the Father, all glory, all the riches of heaven, no pain, no death, no dying, all of that has been put away. And Jesus doesn't give out of what he can spare. He doesn't give out of his riches, but he gives away his riches. And if you and I are uh, materialistic or ungenerous, I, I think it's actually that we haven't grasped a truth yet. We haven't grasped that Jesus, though he was rich, became poor. We might uh, ascribe to a particular doctrine, but the deep-seated affections of our hearts are still clinging to other things. You and I give sacrificially to the things that we believe in, to the things that give us meaning and purpose in our life. And so if you're, you know, your real religion is your appearance, then you're going to give to that. If your real um, religion is your social status or pleasure, then your money is going to be flowing to those things very easily. But if Jesus is the one uh, that you believe is the Lord and Savior of your life, then he's gonna easily have your time and your money and your effort. You're gonna be generous. It's gonna be flowing out of you because you actually understand the generosity and the kindness um, that God has given to us. And a, a couple notes there. I mean, if, if that is true, then we need to understand that generosity is not measured in, in quantity, but it's actually measured in sacrifice, right? The, the church in Macedonia, they don't, they don't have much, but they're giving generously. What is it measuring? It's measuring their level of sacrifice. And so this is our challenge um, today, to be like Jesus in this way, to be a community that is generous, to love, to give sacrificially like Jesus. And maybe you have some questions that are actually ruminating in your mind, and please send them um, my way. But maybe you're asking, well, if, if that's true, and if I do that, would that uh, change or affect my lifestyle? Well, yes, it, it should, right? If, if we're giving like Jesus sacrificially, then it will cut into uh, the, the way that we 
live. Uh, Jonathan Edwards says, if we be never obliged to relieve others' burdens, but when we can do it without burdening ourselves, then how do we bear our neighbor's burden when we bear no burdens at all? And so in other words, how can we um, bear one another's burdens, our neighbor's burdens? How will we do that if we never sacrifice? Or maybe you're asking, okay, well, like, what's the ask? Like, random acts of generosity, 10% to the church? Like, what is it that you're specifically asking? And, and for me today, what, I'm, what, I'm, what I really want to frame up is um, the motivation. Let's get at the heart. Let us be a generous community that gives joyfully that gives decidedly, that, that gives secretly, and that gives sacrificially. And so does that mean give to reunion? Absolutely, let's give back to this work in the city, but let's do it with a vision for the good things that can come through our reckless generosity. What if we could resource more churches? What if we could start an after-school program to tutor kids? What if we could um, help um, get, get people out of inc- incarceration, help them reintegrate into uh, society? What would it look like for us to care for single mothers in our neighborhood? What would it look like for us to be a part of helping um, resource food insecurity in our city? And I know that we're small, but we're dreaming big about what God might do through our generosity. And I want to be a part of that work. I want to be a part of that. Um, and so uh, one of the things I want uh, to end on today is I really, for us as we gather, especially as we think about gathering in, in person, I think we need a, a more formal language about um, our generosity and our giving. We don't want to just, um, we don't want our giving to be filled with tension or fear or obligation, but we want to give cheerfully. And so um, I want to say this giving liturgy before I pray, and I want this to be something that we really think about, that we really um, soak into who we are as a community, that when we give back, um, we would be synced up on the same page. And so here's what it says. Father, you are an abundant giver. There is nothing I have that you have not given me. All I have and all I am belong to you. Help me to honor you with my resources. Free me from the deceit of riches. Lead me on the path of generosity. All that I have is yours. All that I have is you. Use our gifts for works of love and mercy and unto the increase of your glory. Let's pray. And so Father, we present all of this to you, these values, and we say, that we want to embody your son Jesus in the city. And we believe that that would mean good news um, for our neighbors, that uh, it would be an invitation into life with you, into wholeness and fullness. And um, this idea of generosity, I pray that it, ju- it wouldn't just be an idea for us today, but that we would be a people that are recklessly generous, that are um, free from the deceit of riches, that we wouldn't, um, think first about our money, but we would first think, what a gift that I get from God and that I can be free with. And so God, we present this time to you um, as an act of worship to you because we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Uh, As Arthur spoke to in the beginning, we're prepping for summer. And so we're actually gonna be dialing down some of our online content, but we're gonna actually be turning up a lot of our in-person gatherings. And so um, in the next week, probably next Sunday, we're gonna be um, pushing out some information on our summer. Um, We're gonna have some signups present for our movie night that's coming up, and we're really excited for that. So be sure to uh, subscribe below to our newsletter and to our Instagram and social media accounts. And uh, as we put out more information. Let me send you with a blessing today. 
Uh, so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he give us a spirit of generosity that we would not be tied to our things, but that we would be free. May the Holy Spirit give us wisdom on how, when, and who to give to. And may we be sent out to love our neighbors with our time, our talents, and our treasures. Amen.